Okay, we're in Romans chapter 5. We're going to real quickly uh, um, kind of recap verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to talk about our homework uh, that we had, and then we're going to get into the rest of that chapter, and possibly, depending on time, into chapter 6. Chapter 6 is extremely important, and depending on where we are time-wise, we'll determine whether or not we start diving into it or not this week, or I say for next week. Uh, therefore, Paul says, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Now for those of you here last week, you remember we talked about the fact that we have been given this wonderful relationship where God has declared us righteous, He is, uh, in a theological term, imputed righteousness to us. It has been given to us. We've been declared such by God. It has nothing to do with us. It's all been a gift of God. And because of that, we are at peace with God. And we've entered into a wonderful relationship in which we stand now and at peace with God. But then he says, because of this, we rejoice in the fact that we're going to receive the glory of God. Uh, It's guaranteed one day we'll receive the glory of God. But not only that, we rejoice in our what? We talked about last week. And our son. Because we know that God is going to use our sufferings to what? Produce what? Character. Character. And remember, this is what was tied into our rewards in heaven, is that God is going to manifest himself through us, but it's in the suffering that we grow to know who he is, we grow in our understanding of God, and God also produces in and through us what he will then reward us for later on. And so what your homework was, and for those who weren't here last week, you don't have to have done it, but I'll encourage you to get a piece of paper out. And if you were here, get a piece of paper out, because you might want to write down some of other people's passages. Your homework was to go find a couple of passages that you could use as an encouragement, especially in the days to come. We looked last week at Romans chapter 4, verse 17, where, where, where God says, let me read it to you here, it says, He is our Father in the sight of God, in whom he believed God, and who gives life to the dead, and calls things that are not as though they were. And we looked last week at how God, there's nothing impossible for God. We looked at Abraham and Sarah, and how God is able to call things that are not seem impossible, and if he says they are, they will happen, they will be. And so we realized that in these days to come, in the chaos that's going on in the world economically and all this ton of stuff, and I know if you follow the news, they say, hey, it's going to turn around by 2010 or whatever. Don't hold your breath. All right, don't hold your breath. Um, but at the same time, in the midst of all this global and economic mess that's going on all over the world, we looked last week at how it most likely might culminate in the third seal judgment of the book of Revelation. And how the world right now is getting ready for the one stage of a common currency, uh, the one world leader. We know the Antichrist, all this kind of stuff. We touched on that. We'll get into more of that later on, not tonight, but later on in the study. We realized when we looked at last week, we could be real freaked out about it, or we could be excited about the fact that God's chosen us to live in these days. But we need to be able to hang on to promises of God's Word and the truth of His Word in these days to come. And so I sent you out to go find some promises of God's Word that you can hang on to and claim as truth. Remember, if God said it, it will happen. He won't ever break a promise. So, somebody want to share a verse or a passage that you have from your homework? Go ahead. Okay, 
I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Um. Anybody else? Philippians 1-6 is one of my two life verses that I hang on to. Being very confident of this very... Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 7.12 And pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them that the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you as he swore to your forefathers. The good cool thing about that one is is we're now no longer under law but under grace. So he's going to keep his promise even if we don't. Isn't that cool? He'll finish where he started. Yeah. Anybody in the balcony? Philippians 4.19 My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. According to whose riches? According to his bank account. We still think that it's harder for God to give you 10 million than it is to give you 5 bucks. Let's be honest, we do. You know, if we're we're short 5 bucks, we pray, we're pretty sure God can provide 5 bucks. If you need 10 million, you're thinking, oh, that's a toughie. <laughs> Not to God. According to his riches. Well, and by the way, in the context of that passage that, that uh, Ken just wrote, read from, it was written to a group of people that were generous in giving. In the context, because of their generosity to the things of God, he said, and God will supply your needs, according to his riches. Because you're willing to supply the needs of others, God will, will supply your needs. Psalm 100, the last verse, For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever, mm. and His faithfulness continues through all generations. So I remember Malachi chapter 3, I think it's verse 6, where God says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O Israel, are not destroyed. <laughs> the reason you still are here is because I made a promise, and I don't, I don't break my promises. That's why the nation of Israel still exists. He made those promises to us individually, but he didn't make that promise to the United States. So keep that in mind as we continue our study. Ephesians 3.20, I think this is, is now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. It's the immeasurable. I guess that's the thing that I'm thinking. The immeasurable. can't even measure what I still think a lot of us think that when we get to heaven at some point we'll know it all and the more I get to know the word and who God is I think we'll be getting to know God for eternity I don't think we'll ever come to a point in heaven where all of a sudden we understand it all and know him I think we're going to be getting to know God for eternity it's just going to be more and more and more and more He's balanced. There is no limit. So let's, don't think, when I get to heaven, it all makes sense. 
A lot will make sense, but not at all. Because I think that's going to be part of the coolness of heaven, is getting to know more and more. Yes. Okay, whatever we do that. Yeah. Let me turn real quick to Hebrews chapter 13. Here's the one I want you to put down. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? By the way, what can man do to you? Yeah, he's doing this to the home. <laughs> he, can, he can send you to heaven quicker. That's all he can do. He'd be, he'd be doing you death, disservice. And, and, and if he decides to make you suffer, he'll just make... Compound the Compound the rich. But on top of that, in our suffering is when God reveals himself. For those of you that have been through struggles in your family or, or really tough situations... If you've been through those, you know full well that it is in those times that Jesus manifested himself in a way he would never, ever know. And if they even cause us to suffer in the days to come, Christ will be manifest even more. That's why Paul said, I want to know Christ. And on the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And so I want you to understand, if they kill you, you get to go to heaven quicker. If they make you suffer, Jesus will be even more real, if you will, by me, that fourth person in the fire. He will be there and you will get to know him more. Uh, man can't do anything to you. Man can't do anything to you. Alright, so keep that in your mind. It's time that believers in Jesus Christ began to live by faith in the promises of God's word. It's time we stopped reacting like the rest of the world. What are we going to do? And we start worrying about cutting and pinching and saving and scrimping. And we're acting like those who have no hope, who have no God, who has made these promises to us. I hope by the time you're done with this book of Romans that you'll be encouraged that God is for you. And if God's for you, who can be against you? If he who did not spare his own son gave his son for you, how much more will he give us all things? And so I want you to be encouraged by the fact that God is for you in the midst. And so there are going to be days when it looks like he's not there? Yes. There are going to be days when uh, it appears that he's not going to, that he's going to forsake us? That's why he's given us these promises. For those days when it looks like he's not there, or it feels like he's not there, he's made a promise that he is, and he will be, and all that. So. Because Joshua 1-9 says, Be strong, be courageous, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's it. And it just gets repeated. I don't know how many times I'm saying that when I'm going to leave you up for safety. There all the time. Yep. Alright, let's go to chapter 5 of Romans. We'll start breaking down verses 6 and following. Y'all did a good job. That was kind of neat how everybody had so many different types of passages. Hopefully you wrote some of those down and start memorizing them. Because in the midst of your struggle, wherever you are, when it happens, you're not going to be, what was that verse? Get it in your heart. Folks, I'm telling you, get it in your heart. When I was in uh, college, I used to, in seminary, you know, when it was test day, I used to pray this prayer. Lord, help me to, you know, do good on this test. Tell me to remember the answers. And I remember one time, God kind of jokingly said, Jim, I only pull up what you put in. I mean, I can't bring to your mind what you didn't put in in the study. And I thought, oh, that's a good point. I probably should have studied.
said in John chapter 16 will remind us of everything he said. But if you didn't put it in, you can't pull it up. Alright? And so I want you to start putting these in your heart. Memorize the scripture. Get it in your heart. Alright? Now, you don't even have to worry about memorizing it word for word. I grew up in, a, in an era where we had three by five cards and we would memorize the scripture and then they'd quiz us on how we did and they tell you left off the word and. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't change the context. It was... I've learned. Get it in my heart. You know what's been an encouragement to me? There's a lot of times in the New Testament that they'll quote from the Old. Have you ever noticed that? And in some of your Bibles it'll be kind of in italics or in a little section where it's obvious that they're quoting from the Old Testament. You go back and compare their their quotes of the Old Testament. It's not word for word. And even Jesus didn't quote it word for word. There's even a place in Hebrews where the Hebrew writer says, It is said somewhere... And they quoted from the, the Hebrew writer quoted from the Old Testament. Still quoted it correctly, and with our study, we can find out where he was quoting from. But even the Hebrew writer said, I know it says somewhere. At least he had this much in his heart. Alright? So don't get beat down by, well, I don't know the passage. Get it in your heart. You know, it'd be good if you have a chance to share it with somebody that you could point to them. It's in Titus chapter 1, verse 2. But don't let that stop you. Yeah. Well, and God told me, I didn't write it in chapter and verse. Exactly. So don't let all that stuff stop you. I can't, I left the word off. No. Get the purpose, get the meaning of it in your heart. Hide his word in your heart. Alright? And, and, and. People look at me and say, Jimmy, you can memorize so much scripture. That's part of how God's gifted me to do what he has me do. You don't have to be like that. You don't have to be like that. But get what it says in your heart. Yes? I find it interesting, too, that it, it frequently mentions meditate. Not as frequently as study. So it's obviously so important to meditate so that it's in your heart. And not study for the sake of crossing all those teams and, and just memorizing it. Well, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. And unfortunately, the, the Christian church today in this era that we live in has been known for having lots of Bible studies, lots of discipleship training classes, lots of courses. And we've got lots of diplomas who don't have a lot of knowledge in the sense of wisdom. We've got a lot of knowledge in the sense of, I took that class. But most of us haven't really meditated on the Word of God. I, I think God, and I know for a fact, God would rather you take three words from a passage and meditate on it for a week and literally burn that into your heart, have it affect how you live, than memorizing ten verses, if you will, and then forgetting them. Or reading, you know, I read through the Bible in a year. How much is with you? Don't I get these good gold star before you ask me that question? No, don't worry about all that stuff. Do you understand? Let God kind of have the word come alive to you. So, you see, verse 6, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, i got to stop here for a second. Hopefully, you have a love for your family, your children, or a spouse that you would die for them if need be. Correct? Well, people do do that. That's, that's, even that's impressive. But Jesus died for you when? When you were his enemy, even. He cares about you that much. A lot of us think that God's love is, okay, if you do this, then I will. 
He did the I will before we ever did anything. He loves you that much. Now, I'm going to read to you a hymn, an old hymn that just as I was doing this study just came to my mind. And it's, it's the hymn, I Love to Tell the Story. There's a, a verse in there, a couple of them, but one verse mainly that just really jumps out at me here. And I'm going to read it to you. It's the fourth verse. It says, I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, it'll be the old, old story that I have loved so long. And what jumps out at me is this, is as we look at the gospel tonight, when we're looking at the, the power of the gospel, it's sad how in most of our churches, whenever the gospel is really starting to be presented, what do most people do? They close their Bibles, because they know the sermon's coming to a close, they put their shoes back on or whatever, and they think, okay, it's time to go to lunch. Part of the reason is, is the churches today really aren't preaching the gospel. It's a tag on at the end. Oh, for anybody here who'd like to trust Christ. And so what I'm excited about in the study is, is if you really understand the gospel, it never gets old. It never gets old. And so I hope that as we do this, you don't sit there and think, Jim, got it. Salvation by faith. Understand it. Let's move on to something else. I pray the Spirit of God brings the gospel alive to you that every time you hear it, you want to hear it again. Remember back when David was to go and defeat Goliath? Back when it was, he was as the young boy going to bring the food to his brothers, he overheard what was going to happen to the guy who defeated Goliath. You remember? They said that the king had made a decree. If anybody's willing to go fight this guy, uh, his family won't have to pay taxes. He gets to marry my daughter. And they listed all, all this stuff. And if you look at the, you go back and double check it. David a couple times goes, Tell me again what's going to happen. Tell me again what's going to happen to the guy that does this. He'd already heard it. He didn't want to hear it again. Because he knew it was going to be him. And he was, he was excited about hearing it. I pray that when you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, you say, I don't mind hearing that again. Go ahead, tell me that again. That'd be kind of cool. Alright? So, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Now, let this one sink in for a minute here. We just talked about how Jesus died for us when we were still his enemies. And if his death made us reconciled to God, how much more now is it guaranteed that we'll be spared the wrath of God because Jesus is alive? What does the Bible say Jesus is doing right now? He's preparing a place for us. He's sitting at the right hand and doing what? He's interceding on our behalf. He's continually, perpetually, through his life, saying, they're coming. If his death brought us to God, how much more shall him being alive? In other words, his children do that for us. It's really kind of a cool, cool thing. Um, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Put a bookmark here and go to Ephesians chapter 1. One of the toughest passages of Scripture for a long time for a lot of people because it appears to say that God has pre-chosen who's going to be saved. It really doesn't say that. There are those who have tried to make it say that. But I want you to take a good look at it here. Yeah. Someone read verse, verses 1 through 6 for us. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus Christ, the will of God, to the saints of the people, Ephesus, 
the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, spiritual blessings in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his flesh and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. This plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, when did God think of it? Before the foundation of the world. Now look closely. It looks like he's chosen ahead of time before the foundation of the world who's going to be saved. If you read it quickly, it'll read that way. But I want you to do something in your own time of study. Whenever you see the word predestined, I want you to look closely and you'll see that it never ever says that who would be saved is predestined. It always is talking about an aspect of salvation has been predestined or planned ahead of time. For example, I'll quote you from Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. What was predestined or planned ahead of time is that those whom Jesus knew were going to be saved, God predestined them to be conformed to the image of His Son. What was planned ahead of time was not that who would be saved. What was planned ahead of time was those who would be saved would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In this passage here, looking at this, what has been predestined? Our adoption. Our adoption. Through Jesus Christ. It was predestined that we would be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ. The plan of salvation being through Jesus and Him alone was what was planned ahead of time. He didn't choose who. He chose how. Go ahead. Then, then why has it been said that the names are in the book of life? Yeah, well, for the sake of time, I'm not going to get into that. I'll give you a quick answer because that, be, that would require a lot of study. But real quickly, uh, there's a lot of speculation or difference of opinion as to... There are some people out there, Tim LaHaye being one in his book, Revelation Unveiled, who thinks that there's two books of life. He thinks there's a book of life and a lamb's book of life. Now, there are those theologians that don't agree with Tim LaHaye on this one area, but this is what he says. He says there's a book of life uh, that everyone is put in once you're born. When you come or conceive, you're in the book of life. You have until you die to be put into the Lamb's book of life. If you die before saying yes to Jesus, your name is blotted out of the book of life, and it's also not in the Lamb's book of life. So, there, so you see what I'm saying? So there are those who think that everybody's name when you're born is in the book of life. You have to choose to say yes to Jesus, and then your name is put into the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, let me just tell you, there are those who would say, I'm not sure you can get that from the Scripture. Some think you can, some think you can't. The, the main thing is this, we do know this much. In order for us to be going to heaven, our names have to be put in the Lamb's Book of Life. It nowhere says that your names are already in the Lamb's Book of Life, or they can be blotted out. The few places where it talks about, don't blot my name out of the Book of Life, or whatever... It never says lambs look alike. So one possibility, that's a quick enough answer for you, one possibility is that there's a, two different types of books, the book of life and the lambs book of life. Again, some theologians would say, yeah, I'm not sure it says that either, but that's a quick answer. There's a long answer, we don't have any time for that, if that's okay with you. Alright? <laughs> but, but just the other side is when, when, it, when it speaks of being chosen, mm-hmm. being chosen, as though 
there's a predestination or an already. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example of the term chosen. We can deal with this. This is a, this is important. Um, it says in Matthew chapter 22 when he talks about the marriage banquet and how he sends the workers out to go invite the Jews to come. And they said no. He sent them again. And they said no. And in his anger, he destroyed them and burned their city. Then he told his servants to go out into the highways and byways and invite the Gentiles in. Then, of course, you know, at this point in the parable, a guy shows up and he's not wearing a wedding garment. And he's at the party, he's not wearing a wedding garment, and he was kicked out. Now, of course, back then in that day, when you were invited to a wedding, when you showed up, the, the, the master of the, of, the, of the party gave you something to wear. It was, it was a way of saying, you've been invited, you've been accepted. When you showed up, you, so this guy tries to come on his own righteousness, if you will, and he's kicked out. But at the end of that parable, Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen. So we hear that term, choose, and we think, okay, there we go again. God's chosen who's going to be saved. The best way I can illustrate it to you is this. Remember the story of Gideon, where he's been asked by God to go defeat the Midianites. He goes and rounds up 32,000 guys. God says, you've got too many. i tell you what, let anybody there that's really not excited about this, let them know go home free of charge. 22,000 men said, thank you very much, and they left. He's now down, down to 10,000. God says, you've still got too many. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to have them all go down to the river, and the ones that drink in this manner are the ones I've chosen. Right? Now, did these guys have a choice in how they drank? Yes. They had a choice whether or not they went like this or they got down on one knee. You know what I'm saying? They, they had a choice. But God had pre-chosen those, you know, those who choose this way are the ones I've chosen. You understand what I'm saying? Now, this is how it works with salvation. Everybody's called. The scripture is way too clear that Jesus, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus said, didn't die just for our sins, but also the sins of the entire world. And we'll, we'll see in Romans coming up a little later on that God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. The scripture is extremely clear that everybody has a choice. The reason that certain people say that God has pre-chosen or that there's predestination in the sense of who's going to be saved is they take certain passages and they ignore other ones and then they use human reasoning. Well, if it says this, it must be this way, and they're using human reasoning instead of scripture. Anytime you ever talk to anybody that believes in that, they don't use scripture as much as they use logic. What I tell you is this, is the Bible teaches both. This is God's plan. God is working it out. And without Him giving you salvation, you can't have it. Yet at the same time, you will be held accountable for whether you say yes or no. And you do have a choice. Try to make them fit. I've had a man tell me one time, he said, if God knows what time I'm going to wear tomorrow, then I really don't have a choice. And the answer is, no, you really do. He just knows. But if you try to make it fit, it'll hurt your head. Go ahead. Isn't it like watching a movie, and all of us haven't seen a movie except for you? And you know what the end is, but none of us have experienced it yet. That's it. And, and so he's speaking, you're speaking from a position of already seeing the end before the beginning. And, right. And isn't it like that? Well, it's a lot like that. It accounts for the book of life, too, because he already knows what he He already knows who's in the book, and he already knows. Right. Exactly. Like I say, there are those who would disagree with the ace two books. Right, right. We're trying with human minds and limited knowledge and time to understand something that's beyond time. You're about to say something a couple times, Neil. You're no. about, 
in the midst of rejection, persecution, chaos, one day he will reward these pawns for eternity. This is just a short period of time. This is not it, folks. The life that is to come is the real one. And we have been created for a time. Have you ever made like a diorama or, a, or something like that, you know? And you do it for a reason, and then what do you do when it's over? Throw it away, correct? The Bible says God's going to do that to the world. It's been created for a time. He chose before the creation of the world to redeem us through Jesus Christ. It was all part of his eternal plan, and he's doing it to show the heavenly realms something. And one day, those of us who have let him do what he wants to through us are going to judge the angels. Doesn't scripture say that's a mystery to the angels? Okay, it's a mystery to the angels to this day. Exactly. You were trying to say something a few seconds ago and you wanted to, what else did you want to throw in there? Have you heard of the Truth Project? Yes. Well, just an interesting tag. We got his name out from Dell Taggart. He was just mentioning that too about Satan looking at what God was doing. I mean, and, and probably, um, um, yeah, jealousy or, I mean, to look at this world and these people and, yeah, and God was doing this for the heavenly realms too, this creation of mankind, to give him glory. Satan appears before God and says to God, the only reason Job likes you is because you bless him. You protected him. You take that away, he'll curse you to your face. God says, I'll tell you what, Job doesn't even know I'm doing this. Job doesn't even know I'm having this conversation with you. I'll show you different. I'll show you different. And he does. He allows Satan to take away his family, his possessions, everything. Well, you'll see why the wife is left. She, she's on the end of the other opponent's team. Think uh, closely to what she says. Remember what Satan says? He'll curse you to your face. What does she tell him to do? God and die. Whose team is she on? She, she went on God's side either, so that's why she, she was left. So by the end of it, do you know what? Job says, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense, but you know what? He's God and I'm not. Well, once, once he destroys this whole world and universe, what did he create in that one? Well, the Bible says he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth for us to live on for eternity. So yes, in that sense. Now, will he do this again in another part of the galaxy? Who knows? There are those who think there might be other... I'm not going to worry about that. I've got enough to worry about on this one. You know? But I know this much. He's doing something here. And if I'm willing to let him put me through it, and I'm going to keep moving forward in faith, the Bible says one day he will reward me more than I could ever imagine. So I'm not living for now. But too many Christians today are living for now. They don't understand. They think this is... Well, they know there's heaven, but they really don't want to go. Have you realized how much our prayer services on Wednesday night are on praying people out of heaven? you ever thought about that? Have you ever been to a Wednesday night prayer service? What, what's the prayer list? Yeah, Lord, please heal this person, heal this person, heal... We're praying so many people out of heaven instead of praying people into heaven. Unless your prayer for healing is... Eternal healing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there are those. But at the same time, most of us... Selfishness. Yeah. We don't want to lose the life. Exactly. We're so focused on this life, we're sometimes... There's some people... Um, we pray that God will take them. Mm-hmm. We know some people that they're ready to go. 
Mickey Bag, for example, she tells us Becky takes care of Mickey every other day, every other day, and Mickey Bag will tell you, she's just waiting for her personal rapture. She's ready to go. And so there have been times that we as a family have actually prayed, Lord, if you, if you say no to this, you've got reasons why Mickey's still here, but could you let her go be with you? She's ready. Because we went before my mom died. She told my son, I keep wanting to die, and they just won't let me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The world doesn't understand that. But for those of us, like we talked about last week, we're homesick for a place we've never been. I can't wait to go myself. And, and you know, another point that we've made in this uh, truth project with that, uh, God is reality and truth. And, that's, and then everything that we have here is like an illusion. Sure. It's, it's going to be gone in a blink. So it's, it is interesting that we see even ourselves at times. So you're trying to tell me this world's not been here for billions and billions of years? <laughs> 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 Alright, go back to Romans. Look at verse 10. If we were God, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now, I'm just going to touch on this because I want to move on into the next section. How many people do you really know rejoice in God? Now, I'm a, I want you to be honest. I mean, if you might even find yourself being convicted a little bit here. When stuff happens in our life that we don't like, what is our first reaction? Anger. Anger? Why? 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 Take it away. Our first, we don't rejoice in God. We say, why did God? Where is God? How could God? And where, where, really where are you, God? And where are you, God? Is that, do, do we really understand the, the, the name God? Or Lord? When the words flow off our tongue, we know how to speak the language. But do we really understand the term Lord? The word Lord is kurios, owner of a possession. He gets to call the shots. And if you understand who he is, the fact that he has allowed you to even be a part of this plan that he's got in the universe, and that he's chosen to use you and glorify you in time to come, and that you're reconciled to him, hopefully the attitude when stuff happens, and I'm as human as you, and I have bad responses myself, but hopefully our attitude should be, God's got it. He's got a plan. Let's be honest, Paul and Silas must not have been praying, Lord, take this away, when they were in prison. They couldn't have been. They could not have been. Because if your prayer was, you're sitting in the middle of this prison, Lord, please get us out of this. And then the doors fly open and the chains fall off, what would you do? God answered my prayer. But the fact that they stayed there when the doors flew open and the chains flew off is obvious answer. They didn't ask for him to take that away. They were praising God in the midst of it because who God is had not changed in their hearts and in their minds because of their circumstances. Joseph, even though we talked about this, even though all the stuff went the opposite of what he had been seeing in the vision, when the other people said, could you interpret our vision, he didn't say, I'm the wrong guy to interpret visions. He said, interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. Who God is had not changed. 
Folks, we need to really understand the truth of what Paul's saying here about who we are in Christ, so that when this stuff happens, and it will, our first reaction is not why, where, how. We get to praise God. That doesn't mean it's not going to be something we're not excited about. I'm not going to say if you lose a spouse or a child or, or a job, you're not, your first reaction is not going to be, whoopee, you know, I don't want you to be foolish. Yet at the same time, and he's been an attitude that honestly says, God, remember all these passages you supposedly are putting to heart? They'll never leave me. They'll never forsake me. Man can't do anything to me. He said he'll uphold me by his righteous right hand. He'll always finish what he started all the way around. Have that in your heart. to say, what are you up to, God? Yes. So that I'm on the same page with you? There's nothing wrong with that at all. Say, Lord, you know I don't like this, but you're God and I'm not. Let's go. Let's go. That's exactly it. Let's go is, is exactly the whole, whole thing. Well, what did you say to Paul? Where Paul said, take this away from me. Mm-hmm. Just exactly. my side. Mm-hmm. My grace is sufficient. I'll walk you through it. Mm-hmm. I'll walk you through it. And Paul actually came to the point that he said, you know what? I've learned to rejoice now in my weakness. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong because I have to let him take over. Mm-hmm. And then the song, Captain Crash Crazy in the Storm. Yes. That's, it's not easy, but if, if you are living that life, that when my brother committed suicide, that was the song that got me through. Mm-hmm. And he showed me little things to praise. And it, it's what got me through. We have to eventually come back to, okay, if he would send his son to die for me, I have to be important. I have to be special. Therefore, even though this situation makes me feel not important or not special, like he's left me or not, he's already proven that's not true. Therefore, let's go. Let's go. Let's move forward. Does not mean it doesn't hurt? Remember we looked last week at request, not in despair, pressed down, not crushed. You're going to feel it, but hopefully because of the truth of who God is and what he's done, you can rejoice in God, given we have now received reconciliation. Now, we're about to head into a, a section where Paul goes into kind of a deep topic, but he repeats himself enough that, that I want you to kind of write this down in your notes. It'll help you understand this next section. Uh, the focus is on the one man aspect, okay? Sin came to all through one man. Death came because of sin. And he's going to talk about how reconciliation comes through one man. Alright, so this is what he wants to understand. He's again relaying the foundation of the good news of the gospel. Therefore, just as sin entered into the world, verse 12, through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking the command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. How do you understand that? You know, let's be honest, and I only read just a small section. If you were to read all the way down to verse 20 and 21, you would be going, this is a very deep topic, so we're going to break it down into smaller bites, okay? So let's just deal with the section I've just dealt with here, verses 12 to 14. Let's break it down now. Okay, sin into the world through one man, alright? And death came because of sin. And everyone dies, therefore everybody has sin, alright? The consequences of sin is... Death. 
the law didn't come until when? When was the law? The time of Moses. We're talking hundreds of years after Adam and Eve. Long time away. All right. Now, did anybody die between the Adam and Moses? Everybody did. Therefore, sin of Adam passed on to Enoch. He was taken to be with God. But that's a picture of the rapture, by the way. That's a wonderful picture of the rapture. Um, he, because of Adam's sin, sin passed on to all men. Now I want to deal with another interesting topic that I haven't heard anybody really deal with, but I'm going to throw it out to you. It says sin came through who? Adam. Okay. One man. It says one man, one man. didn't it? Who ate first? He ate. Hierarchy of God's authority. Hierarchy of God's authority is slightly part of it, but this is actually very important. If you'll take the time to kind of meditate on this for a minute, this is where the meditating on the Word of God comes from. When you come to a place like that, stop for a minute and say, Lord, okay, wait a minute. Eve ate first. How come sin came through one man when Eve ate first? When does sin come through Eve? Now, part of it is the answer to the hierarchy of God's prayer, but that's not really even all of it. She was fashioned from Adam. She was fashioned from Adam. No. She was deceived, but he chose. Well, she did know, though, the answer. Because remember, she's the one quoting, God has said, so she had a sense, she kind of chose, too, as well. And. I'm glad this is good though. This is this is what you're supposed to be doing. Don't worry about making a wrong answer they here. They were banished until after he. They were banished until after he. Okay, keep going. I, I've been thinking that Mary actually had Jesus, and yet really he came through the line. Did you catch this? This is key. It's even coming from Grandma Cuckoo. Go ahead. I'm not really sure what I'm no, talking no, about. No, <laughs> no, but actually you were right on it now. Okay. Well, it has to do with that line. Jesus was born of Mary. Right. Did Mary pass sin on to Jesus? No. No. This is important. No, because he, 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 he was the only one without sin. He was the only one without sin. Now, the Roman Catholic Church came up with, and actually it went until the 1800s, the doctrine of, of uh, um, the Immaculate Conception. And for years, people have thought the Immaculate Conception was talking about Jesus' birth. Actually, they taught that Mary was born without sin. That way she could give birth to Jesus and not pass on sin to him. It doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't say that anywhere. Mary actually said, I rejoice in God my Savior in the Magnificat. If she's sinless, she doesn't need a Savior. She needs a Savior just like everybody else. But Mary didn't pass sin on to Jesus. If Jesus had been born of who, would he have had sin passed on to him? If he had been born of man. Man. They definitely both ate. Right. But it passed on through Adam. It passed on through the man. All the way on through. Now, this woman guilty? Yes, she was born of man just like everybody else. But when Jesus was born of Mary, he was born without sin, and his father was God. He wasn't born with sin. He had a human body. He was tempted to sin in every way in which we are, yet without sin. And so um, even that, even that analogy of of Eve taking the bite, Mary was not sinless, 
but she was righteous in God's eyes, so before God she was a righteous person to be able to. She, it was almost as though, in a stretch, as though she would not have taken the bite. I mean, she could have been this woman, not sinless, but not to be deceived. Not to be deceived? I think I understand what you're saying, to be honest with you. I kind of missed it. Just, so. I, know, I know I'm really kind of stretching this, but she was chosen by God. Not that she was sinless, but she still was a righteous person in God's eyes. That, well, and that's right, but whereas when Eve given the choice, she chose to sin. Mary, given choices, was not choosing to sin. I mean, I, I'm well, not... At the same time, she, she, she's not sinless, that's for sure. like we are covered by... Christ's blood, when we do sin, God doesn't see it because we're under the blood. I can see what so you're saying. We're not going to sin either. I mean, not now. We, we have a choice not to because we're free from that. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Let's go so with what Chris said. The original sin didn't originate until he took the blood. Well, remember what you said. Think back. Hang on. That's good. Hang on to that. Remember what you said about. She came from Adam, right? So let's just say she sinned and he didn't. But the scripture doesn't say that. The husband is the head of the household is one that has to stand Right. So in that structure that happened, In a sense, yeah. there, there's a passage in Ezekiel, though, where the scripture says it used to be that um, the father will eat sour grapes and his children's teeth will be set on edge, but now, from now on, everyone will be judged for their own sin. And so, you know, again, I don't want you to take this too far where you start using human logic to make a a, a doctrine here. What I want you to understand is that sin came down through Adam. Adam and Eve both sinned. And more than just by eating the piece of fruit they weren't supposed to eat, just like you were saying, and God had set up the man would be the head, woman would submit, Unfortunately, they switched roles in the garden. She took the lead. He submitted to her. She convinced him. They switched roles. And that's part of the fall of man and the curse of sin is, he says to Adam and Eve, from now on, you guys are going to have to battle the sexes. Because you've done this, he said to Eve, your desire will be for your husband. Well, that word desire is not a, oh, I love your desire. That same word desire is in Genesis chapter 4, where God says to Cain, sin desires to have mastery over you. Exactly. Now because you have swapped roles, woman, you're going to want to be calling the shots. You're going to want to nag. You're going to want to be telling them how to do it. And the husband is going to think that he has to be caveman to get control back, which is not biblical either. Any husband that says, the Bible says you must submit, therefore I tell you to submit, is not following the scripture. Because the actual Greek word in the submit is hypotasso, which is a biblical or a voluntary submission out of respect for God's design. So I could never say to Becky, you must submit if that's not hypotasso. If she submits, it's because she chooses to because of God's design for her role and my role. But because they swap roles, God says, you guys are going to have the battle of the sexes from now on, and who's going to be in control? You're going to want to be in control, Eve, and he's going to think he has to be ruler to get it back. And you're going to be battling with each other because of this. But, I want you to just grasp, sin came through Adam. Even though, even though Eve ate first, sin came through Adam. 
Yes, she did. He was right there. She, he was right there, the scripture says, when she ate first. And she turned to him and he watched her then. And the whole thing that started it off was the problem. You feel like God. And he struggled with that. Well, that goes back to why we say, where is God? How is God being? Because if I were, what we're saying is, if I were God, I would have done a different way. I find it very interesting that Satan was like, you can be like God, but just before that, we find in the creation account that we were created in the image of God. Adam and Eve already were in the image of God. And God was walking with them in fellowship, and there was no fear, there was no condemnation, and yet, when Satan said that, she bought into it. Oh, I can do something myself. I can take control to make myself a little bit more like God. Right. And she fell for it. That's why I'm thinking. Is, is there any correlation with the fact that that Christ was born, um, you know, he was a perfect man in a shell that was imperfect, basically? Is there any um, similarities to be drawn with us becoming um, new creations in Christ with our shell? Yes. Is there a correlation between that 100%, picture? 100%. 100% correlation. How Jesus lived in the human body is how we can and should live in the human body as well. The problem is we try to do it. You can't. You have to live that same Jesus that did it, do it again. And again and again. You can't do it. But yes, it's the exact picture of it. Exact picture of it. Then Adam and Eve were predestined to... Yeah. No, no, no. God knew ahead of time they weren't predestined to. He knew they would. But he did it. Foreknowledge and predestination are two different things. For example, when your kids were little and you put that cookie jar and said, don't eat cookies, did you predestine them to do it or did you know they were going to eat them anyway? Yeah, see, there's a difference. Yeah, but if you look at your farmer's almanac, it'll tell you what time the sun's going to come up tomorrow morning. Does that foreknowledge mean they control it? No. You understand? In the same way. So, yeah, they weren't predestined to, but they were destined to, if you understand. Because God, God knew they would. But he didn't say, I'm going to make them. Right. They had a choice. What do you think about it? God even had to put Satan in that serpent, in the garden. Because mm-hmm. he created it. Yep. In the garden. Exactly. And it was all going to be for his glory. Oh, it's all been planned from day one. He, had, he knows what's going on. Isn't, folks, nothing's out of control. Nothing's out of control. How are we doing time watch right now? All right, we're going to wrap up with chapter 5 tonight, and we'll get into chapter 6 next next week. All right, now, verse 15. The gift, then, is not like the trespass. For if the many died because the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Now again, like I said, Paul is repeating himself, and it just, it, you, you, you feel like you're waiting through mud when you're trying to read this. What I want you to grasp for, at least right now, is the one man aspect. Because of one man, sin passed on to everyone. Do we not agree that 
Adam's sin had the power to affect the whole human race? If you get that, you understand what Paul's saying here. Because in the same way, Jesus' death, one man's act of righteousness, has the power to affect the whole human race. Did you get that? You just got that section. That's the main part of that section. If we understand that one man's sin affected all of us, the gift is even better than the trespass because one sin affected many people. This one trespass, I mean, one act of righteousness on Jesus superseded all of those sins. And I wrote in my notes is this. If the focus in here is the power of effect of one man, sin came through one man and affected the many, and salvation's power comes through one man and will affect the many. Alright? This one man's power has a reverse effect on sin. That's what Paul's saying. Now, is Paul teaching, real quickly, is Paul teaching universalism here? No. Universalism is, is that Jesus' death covers everybody, and everybody's going to go to heaven. Actually, I read this one man's book where he said, uh, everybody's going to go to heaven because of Jesus' death on the cross. Christians are the ones who know it, that's why they're happy. <laughs> why do we know that that's not true? Right, exactly. The Bible, Jesus talked so much about hell, and for those who say no to him, they will be going to hell. Not everybody goes to heaven. It's very, very clear. Actually, the Bible says most people go away from heaven into hell. Very few actually go to he- go to heaven. It's because man is not willing to say, he's God, I'm not, I can't be God, I'm far from God, but I believe that he will give me righteousness and humble myself. Jesus now, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, but by through me. me. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't matter that his blood covered all sin. He said, if you want to get to my Father, you come through me. Exactly. Accept that blood. Exactly. You have to accept that blood. That's good. Now, uh, look at verse 13. Alright? Where sin is, is not taken into account, where sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Okay? Now jump down to verse 20. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. We've already dealt with in the first section. Sin was already there. Now everybody died whether there was a law or not. So sin was being passed on to everybody. They're all dying between Adam and when the law came. Why did the law come? Sinful we truly are. Exactly. We looked at this last time we were together. The law is like an MRI. It doesn't give you the cancer. It shows you what's already there. Alright? This is why I wrote my notes here. This is why people need to know God's law. Not to make them hopefully live it, but to hopefully open their eyes to their inability to live it. And we're going to deal with that in a lot more in chapter 7, so we're not going to even go any further than that. Because in chapter 7 we start dealing with how Paul says, I didn't even know what coveting was until the law said covet, and then all of a sudden every covetous desire was up within me and I died. And we're going to show you how the law cannot make you righteous. It's actually going to put you in the opposite direction. Just as a ga- uh, gasoline fuels a motor, I'm going to show you that the law actually fuels sin. And we're going to take a look at how a lot of things we've done in the church, we have made laws. The things that should be just the joy of our relationship with the Lord, we have turned into a law. Except you've got to do this now as a Christian, and you do this, have you had your quiet time today? And are you sharing your faith? And you'd be telling, we make it a law. What happens when we make it a law? We can do it on our own, right? We try to do it on our own, or now we don't want to. The law fuels sin. And for too many Christians, they understand that salvation is by faith, but then they think, here's what I'm to do now to be a good Christian. 
and we have been fueling sin, and most of us, if we're honest, saying, I tried, it didn't work. I'm trying to be a good Christian. I mean, I, I made a vow every January 1st. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a daily devotion, spend time in the Word every single day this year. I bought a new notebook, and, and I'm going to be fit. How'd that work out for you? <laughs> We're going to get into all that when we get to chapter 7. Go ahead. Is that a long part of our theory on my taking in Africa? In it might be, but what do you mean by it? How's that locking theory of pygmies in Africa? Go ahead. Well, I mean, um, we, we don't think that they have heard God, so, and people worry about are they saved. Well, we, we touched on this a few weeks ago. You might not have been here, but let me just quickly say, I actually think that the Bible teaches that there's no such person that hasn't heard. So for years we sat in Sunday school dealing with what about those who have never heard, when actually if we read our Bibles we find out that the Bible says there's no such person. Through God revealed himself to creation, Romans 1, 18 and following, chapter 2. He's written his law in our hearts, whether we've ever heard his written law or not. The Gentiles who by nature do the things of the law, the law are law for themselves. Every one of us has a sense of right and wrong. What you might consider right and wrong is different from what I consider right and wrong, but where did that sense of right and wrong come from? Now let me ask you an honest question, Rita. Have you ever gone against what you sensed was right and wrong? Yeah. And God's already revealed to you you're a lawbreaker whether you ever read his word or not. Right. On top of that, the Bible says in John 6.44, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. Verse 45 says, as it says in the prophets, they all will be taught by God. God reveals himself to everyone. Paul also talks about in Romans 2 how God will judge all men's secrets through Jesus Christ as his gospel declares. We also know that the Bible says in Romans chapter uh, 10, verses 9 and following, it says, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? But then it goes on in the next few verses to say, did they not hear? Of course they did. His word has gone out into all the earth. Mm-hmm. On top of that, Isaiah 55, verse 11, my word will not return void. It will accomplish everything I set out for it to accomplish. When he sent out his disciples two by two, he said, when you go into a town, let your peace go out. If it's received, stay there. If it's rejected, move on. How could our peace ever be received if, unless God had already been working there ahead of us? So is there anybody that's never heard? You've, made it un- you've just taken us out of the importance of the equation, and that's what men men taking us out of the importance of the equation. So, have the, but because we think it's been on us, we have made the pygmies in Africa a law. We better go tell them. Now, I'm not telling you that God won't use people to get to the message to the pygmies in Africa, but if we sit there and think if we don't tell them, they may never hear. That is a small, small view of a big, big God. We'll wrap up with this. Let me show you something really cool. Go to Rome, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 5. I'm going to quote you a verse as you're turning there that you all know real well. It says, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. And we've always pictured that the gospel started in Jerusalem, and like a rock going into a pond makes concentric ripples, it then went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the animals parts of the earth and one day the gospel will get to the whole world and then the end will come. Right? That kind of how we pictured it? Somebody read chapter 2 verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. You see that? When Peter preached at Pentecost who had God brought from every nation on the planet? God-fearing Jews from every nation on the planet God had brought into Jerusalem to hear the message of salvation. So which is it? God used the disciples to begin there and the gospel eventually spread? Or had God brought people from every, every nation to hear it and they also spread it? Yes. The answer is yes. 
because of oh, and, and as he spoke in all languages. They heard it in there. It was a God thing. We think we only can see what we see God doing. Right. I went to a spot where we have missionaries. I was shocked to find out there's a lot more missionaries than just ours. So I went to train missionaries. In this part of the world, you think, man, we've got missionaries in this part of the world. When I got there, I ran into missionaries from all over the globe. And actually, God opened the door that not only did I teach our missionaries from our denomination, He gathered all these other missionaries from all the other denominations into a, 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 an apartment, and they snuck me in. And I got a chance to teach for a whole afternoon missionaries from Canada, Mexico, England, and all over the place. There were a lot of missionaries in that one area. Over a hundred. We only think what we see is what God is doing. Well, we don't, we don't realize that Job was actually living during the time of Genesis. Right. Well, How did he know? Right. How did he have such a relationship with God? At the birth of Jesus, how did those kings know to worship him? Who told them? Exactly. Exactly. Folks, you got a big God. He's going to get his stuff done. Take a deep breath. Just do what he told you to do. And stop letting people put you under law. Well, not under law. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really good point. We pray for us. Father, again, I thank you for this chance to study your word. And Lord, we've covered a lot of stuff. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that you're going to bring this stuff to our remembrance. Lord, I pray that we will continue to grow in our knowledge of you, but not for the sake of knowledge, but for the sake of relationship. And that we would have peace and joy, and that people could look at how we live our lives, and then the God of peace would be with them too. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.